0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Alt Kings podcast. I'm your host, Tate, with my co-host, Corbin, and today we have the one and only H-Bar Bull here. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Of course, it's a true honor to have you. You're always out there in the Hedera ecosystem, just shilling H-Bar, making sure to spread the word, and I just want to get a better feel for you and just a better understanding of who you are and what you're about for this space. And so, my first question will be, how did you find HBAR and what interested you about HBAR the most once you discovered it?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, it's kind of a long journey, but yeah, um, definitely. I've, I've always been... Fascinated with economics and investing. I actually came from another industry. I had a almost a 20-year career in oil and gas. I was an offshore installation manager and master on an ultra deep water drill ship. But for years, I was, you know, reading economics books. And for fun, I would read Fed papers and things like that. And, you know, I saw the benefits of cryptocurrency early on. Um, I almost invested in, in Bitcoin in 2011, 2012. I didn't pull the trigger. I probably would have left it all on Mount Gox and lost it off, but at least that's how I justify it. Uh, but, you know, I saw the crazy run up in, in 2013, uh, 2014, and, you know, knew that that was frothy saw it bottom out in 2015 and i was like okay this is where i'm gonna start to enter uh but i only did it don't don't get too excited i (laughs) was only doing like a hundred dollars a month right and then in 2016 you know i was like well ethereum has a a different thing Uh, again just you know like eighty hundred dollars a month uh into that and then of course 2017 came and things went absolutely crazy and by that time it, it you don't really don't do uh enough research until you have some skin in the game. So 2015, 16, 17, that's when I really started to do research and realized the potential of cryptocurrency in general. And, you know, it's a technical technological revolution on par with the internet or computers themselves. But uh, it has another aspect, right? People, of course, get crazy uh, when it comes to investing. We saw it with the dot-com boom with uh, the internet in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, But... There was a different aspect. It's it's a technological revolution like that. But it also at its heart, it's money. Right. So if we look back historically uh, at um, when people have gotten involved with money, you go back to gold rushes, right, where, you know, you'd have a school teacher from Philadelphia and he'd go up to the Klondike uh, to mine for gold because at the time it was money. So. When we talk about cryptocurrency and it uh, being a once-in-a-multi-generational opportunity, I think it's it's those two things, the technological revolution that's huge, and then also it being money itself. So I started to realize it around that time, around 2017, I, I really uh, started to put it all together, but also it was very frothy. Uh, I noticed after following markets for years, this, this isn't the time to uh, do a dive. But also I saw my mistake you know in 2015 2016 that I didn't do it in size. I should have, you know, been more convicted uh in in my my thought process. And then in the end of 2017, I was like, well, eventually this is going to roll over and there's going to be uh, additional opportunities. I read the uh white paper, the Hashgraph white paper and was just blown away. Uh, I think it was in December, November December of 2017. Uh and sure enough, I was like if they ever have a public network, I'm in, right? This This is it. So then in, I think it was March, February or March of 2018, they did their launch event and said that they were going to do this public network. It was going to be called Hedera uh, and that there, they were going to be raising some money at some point. So I got involved with the SAFT 3, which again, <laughs> don't get excited because the SAFT 3 was at, I think, 9.6 and 12 cents. So I got involved with that. I became a Hedera ambassador around that time. We used to do meetups in downtown Philadelphia where we talked to people about it and just continued with my regular day job, but just got more and more fascinated with it uh, with time. I did a bull case video on the H bar in uh, November of 2018. Um, So, you know, that's pretty much where it got to me. And then uh, in Let's see, it was September of 2019. So it was a while before they actually uh, had the public launch of the token. Um, at that point, the the price just plummeted. But, you know, that's how how I got into it. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into some of the other stuff as we go on here. But th-
0: that was the of beginning. Course. Yeah, you've been around for a very long time, as it seems now. I mean, 2015, that's very early stages of crypto, although it might not seem early. I mean, mass adoption really we haven't seen a lot more people get into the space since really 2017 mm-hmm. and since then it's really been a real slow grind it seems but for you to be able to pick out bitcoin and ethereum out of everything initially and i mean obviously those are the two big ones that we all know about the most yeah. but it really just leads you into a, a just uh it leads you into a hole that you'll just start to find endless possibilities with that's what i realized once i discovered bitcoin and ethereum because, I mean, yeah, there's so yeah. much more technology out there besides just those two. Oh, mm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, I know you are an editor for the Hedera Forum and a contractor for the HBAR Foundation. But what, what curiouses me the most is how you're able to get into those positions, really. Like, sure. how'd you connect the dots, really, when you discovered HBAR and now you found yourself working with two of the biggest Really key factors when it comes to Hedera and the whole ecosystem, really. Yeah, On the so marketing guess, side.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, first, you know, I had been working uh, offshore. We were actually building two brand new ships over in Singapore up until uh, last year. And in March, I was like, I- I've had enough. I-, I can't get my focus away from this Hedera thing. I think there's so much potential. So, I started to look at opportunities and let me see. So me and my partner, Jesse, we started, there was a time when there wasn't anybody doing any coverage of Hedera on YouTube. In the very beginning, there was a guy named Gossip Guy, and he was doing some coverage. I did a few videos, um, and then they had Gossip About Gossip, and that was put out by Hedera themselves. And then they both went away. And there was nothing. So Jesse and I uh, started doing some small interviews. And you know, once or twice a month, we, we'd knock out an interview with somebody in the ecosystem just to stay close, just to know what was going on in the space. Um, so I continued on with that. And then I eventually started doing weekly updates. Um, and I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I, I can't put my proper focus on my other job. It's, it's time to set myself up to see if I can do this full time. So... That's what I did. I left my uh, previous job last year in March. Um, the HBAR Foundation said, Hey, you might be able to provide some services for us. So that's what I've been doing. I've been doing, you know, Twitter spaces. I've been doing videos, all that kind of stuff. The weekly update, you know, I do that on my own. Uh, but I do provide some of that content for the HBAR Foundation as well. And then I'm also doing some entrepreneurial stuff in the space. You can't get involved with Hedera and and not want to build. So I'm doing a little bit of that as well.
0: Nice. Yeah. Information yeah. is key, especially when it's quality information that is majority factual, you know, because mm-hmm. some of it can be opinion based, of course. Oh, yeah, sure. I throw my yeah.
1: opinions in there. There's no question, but yeah. I do try to make sure <laughs> most of it's focused on the facts.
0: Definitely. That's great.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what have been some of your biggest challenges in your previous work environment and also in your your current sort of environment i guess you could say with you know dealing with H bar and you know the foundation and you know all that good stuff New youtube yep. channel
1: well well previously of course you know i was managing 200 people on a ship so you know there's there's whenever you're dealing with that many people on a ship it, it uh, has its <laughs> its own challenges it's completely different now it doesn't it is work, it feels like a grind, but at the same time I enjoy every second of it. That's uh, you great. know, talking to to interesting people and it's really just, you know, organizing. There's so much happening just in the Hedera space. Sometimes keeping some focus outside just in the crypto world is tough because there's there's a lot going on in this space. I would say that's the biggest challenge, just trying to keep up with everything that's going on and and Setting up those feeders so there's there's plenty of people telling me what's going on, uh, you know, making sure I'm following the right people so that I I get all the right information for those weekly
2: updates.
0: And then That's it feels like fair, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And weekly kind of feels like daily at some points because it just the market moves so fast. It's like it's you have to keep up with so much on a week to week basis. Once mm-hmm. that week's over, it feels like you're already on to the next. But it doesn't feel like it's going to take a week. It feels like it's going to be like less than a day.
1: Well, and that's the thing. I'm doing stuff every day, like whether it's yeah. recording clips or you know just doing research or all that kind of stuff. So it is every day, even though I only put the big one out once a week.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It definitely accumulates over time. Mm-hmm. What I've what I've realized is with our very own podcast, like we have some of these episodes that can date back a few months. And people ask us to bring on people here and there, like people that we've already hosted. I'm like, wait a second, we've already hosted these people. You just got to check back on it. If, and it just feels like they get like right. lost in the pile of everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Yeah, you. But yeah, it's it's definitely a fun ride. That's for sure. Just being able mm-hmm. to talk about things that you really enjoy compared mm-hmm. to doing a job that you might not necessarily enjoy, but it might pay well, of course. Sure, sure. Yeah. So the Hashgraph technology, it's one of a kind. Nobody really, it's not adopted as much as it could be yet. But what I have to ask now, where do you believe it will be utilized the most when it comes to more mass adoption?
1: Sure. Well, I do think it's eventually going to be pervasive. I think it's going to be used everywhere, (laughs) right? I agree. Um, there, there is some. So, just I've been following the transactions on Hedera from the very beginning. Uh, initially, there was most of the transactions were put on the network by a company called AdStacks, and they uh, added provenance of data to to prevent um, fraud in the advertising industry. And what I've seen over the past couple of years, and, and at times they were doing, you know one, two, three, four, I think up to 7 million transactions in a day. Um, and they, they kind of dropped off recently. And it's because of the the um, the economic environment. The first thing that gets cut by companies is advertising. So they've come down a bit. But what we saw over the last year is the diversity within the Hedera ecosystem has gone up like crazy. There's, oh, yeah. But they might only be doing a few transactions a day or a few dozen transactions a day. Um, but the, we'll get into the seeds that that's sowing as well. And then, of course, most recently, we had the, the huge um, use case come online that's doing you know between three and 700 transactions uh, per second, uh, which is putting up 50 million transactions per day, um, which is absolutely amazing. And that's a huge turning point for Hedera. But where I see it going in the future, there's there's a few things that um, I'm really excited about. One is micropayments. Right. It's something that wasn't possible until you had an ultra efficient uh, DLT like Hedera and based off of two studies that have come out of now the University College London. And then there was another another study done by uh, the University of Singapore. And then I think there was another university involved with that one uh, or a couple universities from uh, India as well. That's what it comes down to dollars and cents. It's not just about the environmental impact. It comes down to dollars and cents. And that's what allows us to have those super low fees. We're more efficient than any other network on the planet to the tune of orders of magnitude. You know, And, and take a look at those studies. They're, they're absolutely amazing. But that allows things like drop. right? And I actually got into a little debate with somebody the other day. They were saying, well, tipping on PayPal is actually easier. They might have more features, but it's not better for micropayments and small tipping. So Dang. the lowest uh payment you can make with PayPal is a dollar, right? And at that point, you're giving 51 cents to PayPal, and yeah. whoever you're sending that money to is only getting 40, you know, 49 cents or, or thereabouts. With drop, it's always 5%, right? So at a dollar it's $0. 5 cents but it really starts to get interesting once you get down below that. So if you're doing a micropayment for reading an article at $0. 20 cents, right? You're only paying a penny to drop. You can't even do that with PayPal. It's not even possible with the legacy systems. And initially it's just going to be things that we've we've always done, right? It's going to be micropayments for low value um, and I'm not saying it's it's low value uh, but it's it would cost the user uh, a really small amount. So online content you know, like this, we have uh, interviews, you have uh, written uh, articles, things along those lines. So that's what it's going to be used for first. But then there's going to be Internet of Things uh, and smart cities and everything from that uh, from that aspect. And it's, it's absolutely going to blow up. It's going to be a true frontier use case where we, we don't even know where it's going to go. And you consider what the low-value uh, model is right now, and it's either sub- subscription-based. And usually, I don't know about you, but usually when I get to something and I have to pay for it and you know, have a monthly subscription for nine ninety nine, dollars I just don't read it. I just go find uh, the same <laughs> yeah. story someplace else that's free. Yeah. And that same yeah. story someplace else that's free is going to be monetizing with advertisements, right? And then you're no longer the customer. You're the product. Yep. So all of these it, and you think about the amount of money that's generated with those business models now. What if they're completely supplanted or for the most part supplanted by micropayments? It's it, it that's gonna be truly amazing. And then you know, I look at things like uh TradFi, right? And we were talking about the seeds that are being sown right now uh in Hedera. Um traditional finance, I'm talking about traditional markets, so the New York Stock Exchange, the CME, the the FTSE, all that kind of stuff. Um Imagine, again, that it's no longer are you do you have to do a, a trade with a minimum of whatever because the fee is a few dollars to do every trade, right? Imagine if that gets down to being a fraction of a penny and you can trade one stock back and forth. And it's fair because there's fair ordering on Hedera. And why would I think that that's going to actually be done on Hedera? Well, you know, we have people like Larry Fink from BlackRock coming out and saying not only is the future of these markets going to be uh, securities markets going to be on tokenization, but it's going to be tokenization on public ledgers. So they're not even talking about private anymore. And then I look at something like Digital Commodities Exchange, which started using Hedera back in August. Um, and they're the first, and you, any of the viewers that are out there, you let me know down in the comments if uh, if you know of another traditional exchange that's been built on another DLT, uh, because I'm really curious about it. I, I haven't seen, again, tunnel vision, right? Because you, you can't see everything else that's going on out there. But what are the BlackRocks out there and the, the CMEs and the New York Stock Exchange? What are they going to look to? They're going to say, well, here's this little um, exchange, and they're using this network. And of course, the um, Digital Commodities Exchange right now is just using again using it for uh, provenance of data, making sure it's secure. But this year, I think within the next six months, they're going to start building pretty much like a DEX and trading these commodities using Hedera. So it's going to be smart contracts, tokenization, and everything else. And these big guys are going to be looking at the uh, these smaller guys that are already building on Hedera, and they're going to be like, well... That looks like the way to do it. (laughs) And that's when you start to see the hockey stick moment, right? When uh, these exponential technologies, you just have to look for those seeds like Digital Commodities Exchange and Aberdeen, one of the Hedera governing council members coming out and saying they're going to tokenize all their funds. They're going to start doing that on Hedera this year. And they want to do that with all of their funds. So these are the little seeds that, though it might not be providing a tremendous amount of transactions right now, this is what causes that exponential turn at some point in the future. Uh, So I'm really excited about that. And of course, we have, you know, supply chain tracking. As I mentioned, Providence, the data, we have cool stuff going on with gaming and metaverse. Uh, But yeah, it's exciting across the board.
0: Yeah, it's able to touch every every aspect, basically, every sector. And it really just comes down to using the technology. Yep. Have you guys seen uh,
1: Rob Allen? He's he's a superstar. He's one of he's a senior vice president at the HBAR Foundation, but he's been representative for one of the governing council members. And he said all companies are going to use Hedera. They may just not know it. Right. They might be it might just be in the background and they just think they're using a service that's provided by somebody else. But they're all going to end up using it because it right. You know, it it pushes the limits of of really what's possible on the Internet. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And with the structure of the Governing Council of how, you know, essentially the Hedera Foundation is just basically making dApps for all these companies, mm-hmm. you know, it's they're going to be able to leverage that and they might be able to, you know, make some stuff open source and, you know, able to branch that stuff out for other companies as well. There could be, you know, at some point there could be some exponential growth here just based off of that. And on top yeah. of that, you know, Kabila, the, the the new newer, I should say, Launchpad. Uh, just had their last drop for their for their Genesis collection, and they were able to process. I believe it was around thirteen hundred, maybe fourteen hundred transactions for a forty, you know, drop collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they managed to process all of them And it was around six hundred milliseconds or something like that. It was nutty, nutty.
1: That's insane. And think was. about
2: that. That's with. At Myo
1: in the background, running 500 transactions per second, and you know I've been using DeFi this entire time while they're doing that, and you're not seeing any impact to to the network at all. Like like Rob again says, the network's not breaking a sweat. Yep.
0: Yeah, I I definitely can relate to what you say with like businesses using crypto especially the Hedera Hashgraph technology and not even realizing it and I feel as if mm-hmm. the same is going to be with the banking sector with cross border payments specifically like people are just going to be able to hop on their app and be able to send money from United States to Japan seamless without any fees eventually just utilizing crypto but they won't even realize they're using crypto mm-hmm. just because yeah. the banks will yeah. set it up in a way that there's it's just going to be there's no there's going to be no friction really
1: Well, I mean, just think about it right now. So somebody who's sending remittances from the United States to to someplace else or from Africa back to their home someplace else, they may wait for weeks to send that payment right now because they're getting hit with fees from Western Union and everybody else. But maybe at some point they're going to be doing it every day because it's just so much easier and convenient to do it through. Something that's set up by MTech or something that's set up by WePay or something along. All of that infrastructure is being built now. And it takes a while. You know, the first few years of Hedera, it was just building the, the, the foundation, right? And now the HBAR Foundation has been tasked with building out the ecosystem. And you saw the explosion of different apps that have come on uh, last year. But that was just uh, pretty much telling you that this stuff was going to be built, that these uh, grants were being given out for something that was going to launch in the future. We still have to look forward to that launch that's coming. Those launches, yeah. most of them, for the most part, that infrastructure hasn't been built yet. There's some things that we can get our hands on in DeFi and NFTs and, and some of the games, but most of the stuff has yet to launch. It, it, and that's going to be exciting when that stuff to actu- actually starts to come online.
0: Truly. yeah, All the new new and exclusive DApps that will come to the scene. Mm-hmm. That's, that's going to be big, I think. Especially soon to see yours. You are the co-founder of Twigital. I'd love to hear a little more about that.
1: Sure, yeah. So, like I kind of said in the beginning, that it's it's hard to work in the Hedera space and not want to build. Yeah. And my partner, the guy that I used to host the Hedera Forum with, uh, had this fantastic idea, and it was he started playing with this idea a couple years ago. And it was, you know, how do we bridge the physical world to the digital world? It was he was talking about it before we even talked about the metaverse. And there's a few technologies you need to do that. And we were looking at photogrammetry. And photogrammetry is taking hundreds of pictures of an object and then stitching, uh, having software stitch that into a a digital object that could be used in the metaverse. And I sent you guys a couple of the files where you can take those and you can just put the object on your desk. Um, It used to take a lot of heavy-duty hardware and software. In hardware, I mean the cameras to get the yeah. resolution on the pictures uh, that, that you need to make good objects. You needed some pretty impressive cameras. Well, now we have these right there. Uh, these cameras are amazing at this point. Yeah. So that's one uh, part of the puzzle. Uh, the second part of the puzzle was the software. You can imagine stitching all of that together takes some pretty heavy duty uh, equipment when it comes to the computing power. Well, Apple came out with uh, something at the end of last year, and that's part of our secret sauce. I'm not going to go completely into it, but it allows you to do this in a fairly easy, seamless way. And then the last piece of the puzzle that we needed was uh, cheap uh, NFTs, being able to tokenize these so we uh, can track and trace uh, these objects. So we put all three of those things together. We're going to have a DAP dap that's going to be coming out probably in the next few months um where you can get one of uh, take a 3D rendering on your phone uh, and you're going to be able to tokenize it all within the app and then it's going to be able to be used for appraisal and authentic uh, authentication and insurance as digital receipts uh, you can display it of course in the metaverse so your display shelf at your your home is going to be a lot bigger because you know you have people you go over to their house and they have a collection of some sort and they always want to show it off right sure. this is going to be the best way to show it off um, so it's going to be exciting to see what happens. And we just want to be a base layer utility uh, that anybody can use. So just like Hedera, we're not sure what these are going to be used for. We have some ideas of how they can be used, but we're not exactly positive yet. So, you know, there's only going to be one metaverse out there. Uh, there's only going to be there is only one physical world. We just want to bri- bridge the two. It's kind of like, you know, we have wrapped ETH and we have wrapped Bitcoin where you can take it from one ecosystem to another that's the same thing we think that this photogrammetry is the best way to wrap physical objects to then use them in the metaverse in that other ecosystem
2: oh yeah for sure and then like on on top of that too you know you have the the pro iphones for instance that have uh this little guy right here the lidar sensor that gives accurate depth perception for Mm -hmm. ar based applications yep
0: phenomenal absolutely You'll so basically be able to snap a photo of anything, like a bag of chips, if you desired, and then throw it into the metaverse eventually. Yeah, it, it, photogrammetry certainly does
1: take skill. You, you, it's a, yeah. something you have to develop because it's of not course. super easy. But you know, there's plenty of things out there to, to teach you how to do it. So once you've gained that skill, just like with anything else, uh, you can use it for all kinds of stuff.
0: That's exciting. Yeah, I'd love to. I I guarantee once that is out and running, people will start to utilize it to throw a lot new, new and unique items into their spatial art galleries, as well as any other sort of art galleries.
1: I actually have an example here. So have you guys followed Karate Combat at all? They're building on Hedera. So I I just heard
0: about them this week, actually.
1: Yeah. So they are it's a new fight league and super entertaining check out some of their fights. It's an amazing structure. But I went down there because they're building their app on top of Hedera and I'm doing some coverage down there. But their commentators are George St. Pierre and Boss Rutan, which I don't know if you guys have followed that, but some of the greatest MMA fighters to, to yeah. ever live. So we want to twigitize these gloves. We want to use it for promotion for karate combat, for twigital yeah. and for, um, for uh, Hedera itself. But what you can do, of course, with Hedera NFTs is you can have multiple files. So the top right. file might be that 3D rendering of the object, but then I can have another file attached to it, which is an interview that I did with George St. Pierre, or a picture of him signing them, or a certificate of authenticity. Those are the kind of things that we want to do with Twigital. You know, it, it, there's so much versatility. And this is just... We're just scratching the surface, right? So yeah, we, we are excited
0: about it. That's incredible. I That's think it would really be cool, actually man. really cool to actually digitalize a interview with like Lehman Baird. I think that'd be like really cool and throw it into as a separate file on an F- NFT and then have allowing the community basically to like purchase it for like five H or something. Yeah. Just an idea yeah. I just thought of.
1: They're they're already playing around with that kind of stuff. It's yeah. really impressive. Endless
0: possibilities. It really is yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you own any H bar NFTs by chance?
1: Of course. Of course. I mean, like the big ones, you know, I have dead pixel. I have uh hangry barboons. I, I have earthlings. Yeah. Uh, I haven't gotten a koala yet, but I definitely want to get one of those. And actually the LG, the berry ball thing, uh, just by happenstance, I got an LG TV uh, for Christmas. So wow. I'm kind of interested. They're, they're going to do a relaunch of those in a few weeks. And I kind of want to get one of those because they seem pretty cool. And even though they, they seem to start slow, I think, again, because they're some of the first that are doing it, I think there's a lot of potential there. And the art is beautiful.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. There's a lot of really good artists out there on Hedera. And you can definitely see the way that things have progressed over the time of HBAR NFTs being accessible just from where we started to where we are now. I mean, Dead Pixels is about to be on its fourth drop. And that's, that says a lot. And I mean... It's not like they've just dropped every once, a, once every single month. It's been in pretty good time spans. And it's just exciting to see the whole entire ecosystem grow. But with growth, we have to be aware of potential people coming in to suck out liquidity. And so it's always good to keep your head on a swivel and make sure what you're investing into is a legit project and nothing that could seem a little too suspicious. But, um, I have a I have a question based around the NFTs. Uh, I don't know if you have any of your own ideas for an NFT project or anything, but uh, uh-huh. what would be any sort of advice you'd give to people that are interested to in starting their own NFT project, if you have any?
1: Yeah, so I do. I actually do have some NFTs. I haven't even. I gave one away for a, a promotion. Um, I do want to eventually sell them. They're the one centers. It has to do with the market and all that kind of stuff. But um, yes. you know. The one thing that I think, no matter what you're doing, you look at these projects like Dead Pixels. I mean, it, all of their their things seem to work perfectly with memes, and that's perfect with yeah. Uh, yeah. NFTs. These guys grind. They're hard workers, Definitely. right? It's, yeah. it's the only variable we have. They might look like they're having fun all the time, but to have one of these projects and have it be successful, of course, you have to have skill. You have to create the art. You have to figure out a, a way you're going to create it. Uh, So that people actually want to engage with it, and you know, dead pixels perfect example. It works in every meme. Like they have all kinds of stuff going out there. But yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. No matter what you're doing, and I know it's kind of cliche, but it's the only variable you have. You you have a certain set of skills. You only can build those skills further by working hard and learning it. uh, Learning how to um, just work your business uh, in a way that will make it expand as fast as possible, and. I, that's one of the things that a lot of times people make it look easy, but it, it just comes down to grinding through it. Um, you know, it's not going to be a, a weekend thing when you have these big projects that are really successful. The amount of work that's going on behind the scenes would blow your mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like to say that consistency is key and marketing sure does matter. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. I know that the people over at Dead Pixels are very genius when it comes to like marketing and stuff, they mm-hmm. have a very yeah. solid background behind that. But besides just them, I think that overall, you have to make sure that you're not just trying to confine yourself to your own community. You have to be willing to expand and broaden your horizons when it comes to outreach and stuff and getting your name out there, regardless of just community help.
1: Yeah, that's one yeah. of the things that I think our NFT community is they're our greatest ambassadors because yes. they do a lot of cross chain work. They, they get out there and they talk about their project and people just might be attracted to the art, but they, they come and they realize how easy it is to trade on our marketplaces yeah. like Zeus uh, and hash access. And that that's kind of where, where it leads. They're, they're fantastic ambassadors for the space
0: definitely yeah I've seen Metazombie out there a lot just in cross chain spaces and stuff and he's really helping just move along the whole entire ecosystem and bringing and onboarding more people into the space as well
2: yeah Mr. Teddy Bars himself (laughs) what a guy what a guy cool
0: you have anything Corbin what's up you have any questions
2: ooh ooh okay all right i got a oh, this is gonna be a good one i got <laughs> I got a bit of an interesting one for you all right so so in your in your opinion, what is the thing that sets h bar completely apart from any other chain granted it's a hash graph, so it's not a chain, but you know what is the biggest thing in your mind that separates h bar from everybody else like full stop
1: okay um well, I, I do. Certain, I'm going to give you a few answers. I'm sorry, there's sure. not yeah, going to yeah, be go one. Go for thing. it, go for it, please. So it's, it's certainly the technology, and you don't necessarily have to trust what they say when they say they're ABFT. And I've, I haven't seen any other platforms put out their a, that they're ABFT. But you don't have to trust that Hedera says that they have, meet this gold standard. They put out a COQ proof from Carnegie Mellon, proving that it's it's ABFT. You can just take a look at at Metrica as far as you know the speed and all that kind of stuff. But you know, when it comes to the efficiency, University College London, a lot of people think they came on as a council member and then they did that study. It was the other way around. They did that study and then that, thats what made them uh, want to become a council member. So it's it's things like that that you don't have to tr- trust. You know, you don't have to trust their word for it. Um, you know, if it's good business decisions. So I guess that that's the other thing. A lot of people say the technology is really important, but. The council is just as important. If there's a new open source uh, protocol that comes out, they can switch over. But it's important to have that already established um, council to properly govern it. And you'll take a look at the good business decisions they make because they, they know how to run these businesses. A great example is the fact that the... Fees are paid in HBAR, but they're priced in dollars. You go to a CFO and ask them, uh, yeah, we're going to build this DAP, we're going to build it on this project, but the cost for running it could change 10x based off of what the cryptocurrency does. You don't have to worry about that with Hedera. And it's those kind of business decisions that other platforms could make, but they don't make that decision because they don't really understand business like these uh, large networks do. Um the professionalism of the people that are working in the space. So recently we had L- Lehman is always trying to work out solutions to things. And, you know, of course, we have amazing time to finality right now at 4.7 seconds. But he developed a new gossip protocol that dropped it almost in half. They deployed that and it did almost drop the the time to finality in half, which, of course, is is amazing in its own right. The fact that, you know, you're getting it from. 4.6 seconds down to two and a half seconds. Um, but it caused a fair amount of volatility at the same time. You know, they had tested it on testnet, but once it got on mainnet in the real world, uh, it, it shows some volatility, even though it was volatility around a really low number. Um, well, they said, you know what? This this doesn't work. We can't have this volatility. They took it back out. They put the old one back in, uh, and they're going to work on it until they get it right, and then they can redeploy it again. But, you know, yeah. the fact that they can come up with things like there's, there's new gossip protocols, and they're always trying to improve, that's just going to continue throughout time. And it's kind of also, when they say something, they are not BSing. <laughs> they yeah. they mean it when they say something. It's promises kept. Um, you know, some examples of that is, Back from the v- time of OA to I think it was the spring of 2021, that time to finality had creeped up from about four and a half seconds to seven seconds. And of course, that was making everybody a little bit nervous. Like, is this trend just going to continue at nauseum forever? Uh, and so we asked Lehman. We're like, so, so what's going on? He's like, ah, don't worry about it. I'm going to tune it and it'll it'll come down. <laughs> a few months later, they did an update. And sure as you know what. It came down and came back down to that, uh, you know, 4.5 level again. And so there's a a promise kept. People were like, this is supposed to be a proof of stake network. When are we going to uh, actually have staking? Took a long time before they were ready because that professionalism, they want to make sure it's done in the right way. But this year we get to, um, you know, uh, where you can stake your H bar and you're getting a pretty impressive six and a half percent for it. again, the the step function, right? People thought that that was b s because it took so long for it to come to fruition. but again, it comes to fruition. So just the professionalism I've learned to trust these guys. I know when they say something that it's actually going to happen. Um, so those are the three things, the tech, but you don't have to trust them for the tech. you can they they provide outside sources to make sure it's good. The governing council, and then just this team is amazing at developing their technology.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that's by yeah. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right on that front. And uh, yeah, and, and to to add to that as well, um, Dr. Lehman also has uh, a lot of strong military ties mm-hmm. as well. I believe uh, he was in the Air Force, right? Yes, and, yes.
1: Both he yep. and Mance were both uh, yeah. in the Air Force. They they both yep. uh, taught to do They were professors there. Mance mm-hmm. ran the the um, the War Games program. <laughs> so, <Wow>. yeah, they, <laughs> plenty of ties there. That's I love amazing. Called
2: the War Games program. Do you want to launch global thermonuclear war?
1: (laughs) Exactly, but that's that's what allows them to, you know, that that their professionalism and the way they're very methodical with things. When you're running, eventually, what I think is going to be a multi-trillion-dollar network, or at least transferring uh, trillions of dollars, you have to have that methodical mind, that professionalism, you know, and and another thing that makes me trust them that much more.
0: And a lot of structure goes into that, Mm -hmm. exactly. And if mm.
1: anybody listening rigor that's that's the word I was looking for rigor,
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. and if anybody hasn't if anybody listening hasn't already, definitely check out Dr. Lehman's talk about you know what what makes h bar special about what makes it different from everybody else because that's that's the thing that really sold like personally sold me in the beginning mm. is listening to him talk about what makes it different and the speed and. You know all that good stuff, and the security too. Like, he, like he made his own security protocol. It's one of the strongest, I believe, in all of ledger technology. It is ridiculously good.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. As he says it, you know, it pushes the limits of what's possible with a DLT on the internet. Without
2: a doubt, <laughs> couldn't say it better.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's so exciting to be able to be here at the basically the front line. Of all of this development, really, I mean, we're only just a few years in, maybe a decade, decade and a half into this technology, really. And just as more and people, more and more people just start to realize how it can be utilized and the endless possibilities of future development on the hash graph. I just think that it's just going to nonstop get better. I-, I don't see any anything really failing with it, although that could be a big bold statement to say. But I mean, we haven't really been failed yet today. So I feel confident yeah. saying it.
1: Well, that's I, I can't properly uh, do the analysis on the algorithm. I mean, I'm not a computer scientist. I can't yeah. do that. But that's where the trust comes in. You know, yeah. when, when they put out these studies and uh, you build trust around the, the founders and the, the team around it, uh, unless you're an expert, unless you're a Ph.D. in computer science, you're not pro- going to be able to do that research yourself. So it, yeah. it really goes a long way. Definitely. Yeah.
0: And you provide tons of quality HBAR content on a weekly basis on YouTube. And what I have to ask now is what it's been like to create weekly content on YouTube. Because, I mean, we're about in the same boat. We post roughly one to two times a week. We're trying to up uprant that as well to bring on more guests on a weekly basis. But, like, what has your experience been with weekly content?
1: Yeah. So, initially, when I first started doing weekly updates, it was before I was I was doing it as a full-time gig. but um I was concerned that I wouldn't have enough content. Like I, I was concerned that there wouldn't be enough going on now. I mean, the one that I did yesterday was an hour and 10 minutes. And if you watch those, it is just jam packed with yeah. stuff. Now my concern is no longer finding enough content. It's, you know, what do I prioritize to make sure it gets in here? Cause there is just so much, but it's, The thing that I enjoy most about it is being able to talk to pretty much anybody, right? Anybody that's building in the space, and they are some of the most fascinating people you can think of. Um, You know, who would have thought that I would have been able to interview George St. Pierre about, you know, something that was being built on Hedera? Um, But, and all of the people are just. That, again, coming from the top, coming from Lehman and Mance, it has attracted people that are just some of the nicest, welcoming, uh, knowledgeable people that, that I could imagine. And having those conversations is just invaluable for me.
0: Couldn't have said it better. I love all the conversations we have, not only just on Hedera, but on other chains as well, because sure. one, it's a networking opportunity, but two, you learn so much during that conversation.
1: Hmm.
0: Oh, without, without a doubt.
1: And that's, yeah. that's, and that's why Jesse and I first started doing the Hedera Forum was to, to stay at the center of it, right? To, to give us something to, to really stay engaged. And it's, it's worked out fantastic.
0: Yeah. I feel the same with me and Corbin. That's yeah. what we kind of intended on with the podcast initially more. as well, was to just provide more information about NFT projects, creators, builders, just everybody in the ecosystem, really. Because I feel mm-hmm. as if the people who want to be out here will allow us at least their voice to be able to be heard. And if we can hear not only us hear their voice, the community as well behind us, it's only going to help them grow, and overall, everybody grow
1: yeah, and now's the time you do the work, right it's, yeah. it's not easy, especially going through the bear market and everything else, but you know once you've established yourself that, that's you know uh, as a, a source of trusted truth, um, you know, that's what's going to go a long way when this industry just does get to where it's going to go. I, I have no yeah. question it's going to be pervasive. Um, and it, it's just going to be interesting to follow it as we get through.
0: Yeah. It gives me the chills. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Very true. No worries.
0: I have one last question. I'm not too sure if Corbin has any more, but uh, my last question is what's something that motivates you when you do your daily work?
1: Ah, uh, what motivates me? So, I think it it feels like it's a, a frontier, right? It feels like we're we're exploring. That that was one of the things, you know, working in the oil and gas industry felt felt like I was even though the technology was cutting edge and amazing, it felt like I was working in the last century, right? It didn't feel like I was looking toward the next century. Here it feels like it's a frontier. Everything is new and you don't know what's going to take off. You don't know where it, what, what direction it's going to go and it's kind of like leading down those and being somebody that covers it every week. I get to follow every every little lead that there is out there. You know, of course, you know, I'm building my own thing and I know which direction we want to take that, but it's being able to follow everybody else down their paths as well. So that certainly motivates me just wanting to make sure I'm I'm paying attention to the the bleeding edge of what's going on in the space. And like absolutely blew me away. I had no idea the digital commodities exchange was being built and they had been using it since August. By the time it, it got to me in, uh, in November, I wish I would have known about it earlier. I actually had friends that were involved with it uh, that I had met over in, in Singapore. Uh, but that's that's it. Just m- making sure that I'm paying attention to the, the bleeding edge stuff that's coming out so I can make sure everybody's informed.
0: It's am- yeah, it's amazing.
2: The space moves fast. Yes. Man, I go yes. really, really, Very really, fresh. really fast. <laughs> well,
1: how how often do you guys run into something where you're like, oh my gosh, that is really cool? Like I, I can't that that that's possible already? And then you think, oh my gosh, where is this going to lead? Again, digital commodities exchange. That's gonna be the the um the standard for which all of these other exchanges uh, look to uh to, to go forward. And you just see that happening. Does that mean that they become uh bigger? They take market share and then or do they get swallowed up by one of these these bigger guys I don't know but all I know is you know a, a traditional exchange pretty much using a dex model is something that's going to be amazing
2: yeah it's absolutely. exciting to see yeah and and you know with the digital commodities stuff like i i feel like one of the one of the big things that separates hbar part apart from you know security and speed and like you know a lot of the fundamental stuff is also the, uh, I forget the the name of it off the top of my head, but it's like the the consensus surface I want to say with, mm-hmm. with the time essentially of where like each transaction has a final time of where it's like, hey, this has been done in this order and you know everything <sighs> is square essentially. Mm-hmm. And having that extra level of you know cohesiveness, I feel like might push some institutions to actually adopt Hbar in general.
1: And this is actually, we'll go down a little uh, rabbit hole here with the consensus service. That's causing a lot of confusion right now because people think because it's Hedera consensus service that they're just consensus transactions. So like Solana puts their transactions in uh, and what they're using to reach consensus, they, they act like those are transactions when they're really not. I mean, those are like our gossip transactions. Hedera Consensus Service is a different animal. Uh, It could be called Hedera Notary Service or Hedera Data Logging Service. And the way it was born was AdStacks, initially when they were doing their, uh, their use case, they were putting information in the memo field and using the cryptocurrency service, which was one one hundredth of a cent. Well, Hedera saw that and said, well... If they're using the cryptocurrency in a way that it really wasn't designed, let's design a service for them to be able to log data in this way. If there's already a business need, we'll create a service that's tailor made to do exactly that. And that's what they did. And of course, now we have AtMio and all kinds of supply chain tracking and uh, provenance of data and everything else that can then use that service. So... I know it's causing confusion right now because people are trying to ignore um, the amount of transactions that are going on the network, but Hedera Consensus Service is is really important and is going to be in used used in ways that that we can only imagine right now. Like initially they were just like, well. Somebody's already using this. We might as well make a, a tailor-made service for it. But now, of course, we have AtMio and everybody else using it as well. And I mean Digital Commodities Exchange, right now that's what they use. They use Hedera Consensus Service. But then they're going to reach out and eventually use the smart contract service and the tokenization service as well.
2: Yeah. And that and that completely circles back to, you know, the the governing council in general, you know, Avery Division, Google, IBM, Ubisoft, like a ton of these huge companies they're creating custom stuff for. At mm-hmm. some point, that could potentially branch out, like we said before. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's crazy how well it's structured. Like it's, it's great. Love well, it. I'm
1: curious. Covering other things, like the token service, right? Against, again, they saw a business need. They saw everybody creating tokens using smart contracts. And then every smart contract, you have to check the code. They're like, you know what? We're just going to create a service so it's really easy to uh, create tokens. Do you know of any other networks that are doing that that have a token service? Or do you have to always use a smart contract?
0: I don't know any others.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I, off the top of my head, I, I can't think of anything.
1: See, those are the kind of things, those smart business decisions that they make that it's just like, well, yeah, of course that makes sense. We don't want to trust every token to a new smart contract that has to be vetted and everything else. Let's just create a service that makes it a lot easier and safer to uh, create tokens. Seamless. Yep.
0: yep. Just like everything else in the hashgraph. Seamless.
1: <laughs> Seems like it,
0: doesn't it? Yeah. It's only going to keep getting better. That's for sure. Cause I'll just continue to innovate. Yeah. Well, that exactly. is, that is it for me. I want, I, I just want to say, I thank you for your time coming onto our podcast. It, it was a true honor just to get to know you better as well as our community will soon get to know you better. And if there's anything else that you'd like to say, or Corbin, if you have any more questions, feel free to ask them now, but I just want to say, I appreciate your time and thank you for joining us today.
1: My pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Have me back anytime. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Well, good? Good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, with that being said, this has been the Alt-Kings Podcast, and we will see you all next episode. Peace. Nice.